All right, yeah. Love that story. We live for those stories here in this church. And, you know, one of the things that when I hear that story, I'm just reminded of this, like, central truth that we cannot out the grace of God. He is relentlessly patient with us. And even though we run to a bunch of other stuff, he will continue to pursue us. That's true for so many of us in this room. That might be true of you right now. You're in that season of running, and he's drawing you back, and that might be why you're sitting where you're sitting right now. So thanks, Jaden, for sharing that story. I'm Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here at H2O. I'm excited to continue teaching through the book of Romans or the chapter eight of the book of Romans. If you didn't know, we're taking eight weeks to camp out in a single chapter, chapter uh, Romans chapter eight. So why are we doing that? Really simply, Romans eight of all the chapters in the Bible is special. Okay, so I need to say this. We believe that all of Scripture is inspired. It was given to us by God. It's authoritative. But there's something about Romans chapter 8 where there is just so much good theology and like good practical advice on how to live our lives all cooked down into this one single chapter. I think some of the most foundational questions of our lives and of our faith get answered in Romans chapter 8. What is wrong with the world? What is the gospel? How do we live? How should we live? What is faith? And then what does it mean to live by faith? So many questions. I could go on and on. When we zoom out and look at all of Romans, it's even more. There is so much good stuff in Romans, and especially in chapter 8. The question that I want us to wrestle with today that will sort of frame everything else that I say is this question, how do we persevere through pain? I think one of the most central questions of our lives When pain comes, when suffering happens to us, life gets difficult. How do we persevere through that? Is that possible? Can our faith thrive even when our life gets wrecked, gets rocked with trials? How it normally goes, if you're anything like me, is this. So the pain comes, suffering comes, something happens to you, and you kind of like just put that, put your relationship with God over here, and you put your head down, and you're thinking, I just got to get through this. And God is not really in the suffering or in the pain. It's like, I just got to put my head down. I got to grind through this. And when that's done, then I'll be able to go back to following Jesus and doing the things I need to do to cultivate my relationship with him. I think that's sort of our default reaction rather than to include God into it. And when that happens, we start to really wrestle with what's happening when pain and trials come, right? The two questions that fill our mind, right, is why is this happening to me? And how in the world am I going to get through this? Why and how? Great case study happening right now inside the McClure house. So my wife Tiffany and I, we have four kids. One of them is uh, named Phoebe, gorgeous, beautiful, uh, inside and out, eight-year-old girl. She has been sucking her thumb since she was inside Tiffany's belly. We have ultrasound evidence of her sucking her thumb in utero, okay? So, and she still does it at bedtime. It's like her comfort. So we went to the dentist recently, and I'm not joking, this dentist like came at her throat about the thumb sucking. He was like, you got to stop this now and put the fear of God in her. So we're trying to get her to stop sucking her thumb. Now, I have to remind you, she's been doing it since she was inside Tiffany's belly. Okay, so I just took a little note. Here are some quotes from Phoebe McClure over the last week or so in this effort to try sucking 
stop sucking her thumb. Now, tell me if, this, if you can relate to this. Think about whatever trial that you've been going through recently or sometime in your life. Think, think about if these questions resonate with the questions that you have. Number one, Dad, why did God let me suck my thumb in mom's belly in the first place? Fantastic question. Um, it's not fair that I even started. I didn't even have a choice because she was so little, right? I'm upset with God. How can I possibly stop? I, I, I literally can't. And then my favorite quote, life is just so miserable right now, end quote. <laughs> so if y'all wouldn't mind like praying for our, our uh, Tiffany and I at about 8.30 every evening as we could put our kids to bed, um, we need it desperately, seriously. Um, it's funny, but honestly, it's legitimately one of the most painful and difficult things that this eight-year-old girl has ever gone through in her life. And I wonder, can you relate? Hopefully it's not thumb-sucking for you. Maybe. There's some youngins in here. Um, I think about what's happening in this world. COVID, global pandemic, political division, people fighting, the internet being like a, just this war ground. I think about the fact that there are portions of our nation that are literally on fire. To say nothing of the fire that's just kind of life right now anyway. But maybe even more personally for you, you're walking through something that's incredibly difficult right now. You're experiencing a loss of some kind, a pain, a suffering. I think today, the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, has something for you. Maybe you don't have a lot of personal pain going on in your life. It's like, okay, I'm doing all right. But when I look at the world and I see all this stuff that's happening, the division, the injustice, the hatred, it, you feel pain. There's a suffering that happens in that. Maybe you're doing great. You're like oblivious to all this stuff that's happening in the world. Maybe you don't get on social media. Praise God, you are so smart, so wise. And you're like, I'm doing fine. What you hear today, I'm going to ask you to just tuck that away. Because when the pain comes, if you haven't noticed this, it's really hard to like absorb and learn something in the midst of like intense pain. Have you ever had someone try to come in and like give you a theological lesson in the midst of like your pain? And you're like, just shut up. Seriously, shut up right now. Like, well, you know, Adam sinned in the fall of mankind, and that's why. And you're like, stop. Just stop talking. Not helpful. We got, it's better to get it into us now so that when that comes, it's there to serve us and help us. So let's get caught up. Um, in Romans so far, we're about 15-ish verses in. These are the promises, just some of the promises that Romans 8 has already given us. Number one, from verse one, we will never be condemned. If you're in Christ Jesus, you will not be condemned. Your eternity is secure. Number two, we are freed from the curse of sin and death. Number three, we've been given Jesus' fulfillment of God's law. So all of the law Jesus fulfilled, and those who are in Christ, it's imputed to us, it's given to us, and so we have, through Jesus, fulfilled the law. We are led for by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is giving us life. He is transforming us into the image of Jesus. Number five, we have been adopted as the sons and daughters of God. No longer children of wrath, but children of the Most High God. Number six, we are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. All sounds amazing, doesn't it? We didn't do anything to get that other than to repent and believe. Jesus accomplished all of that for us. 
We just believed. We ended last week, though, with a different kind of promise, one that's a little less comforting. We're promised that we will suffer, that as the Holy Spirit does his job of making us more like Jesus, our lives will then look more like Jesus's. And what does Jesus' life look like? We want to think about the miraculous, the, you know, the crazy wild things that he did that drew thousands to him. And those are true. Those are great. We cherish those. But do you remember the moments when Jesus went away to pray, when he was weeping, when he was filled with sorrow, when he looked over Jerusalem and he said, these people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and he's weeping and he's crying. Isaiah said that our Jesus was a man of sorrows. He predicted that, prophesied that centuries before. And so we too will suffer. And that's not news to any of us. We've experienced that. If you've lived any bit of life, you know that. And so we, as we read today's section, this big question that I want us to wrestle with again, how do we persevere through pain? How does our faith just not get entirely train wrecked? So here we go. Romans 8, I'm going to start in 16. Alfonso ended last week at 17, but we're going to start at 16 just to kind of get the context and then go on through to verse 25. Starting in verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed, and here it is, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but, if, but hope is that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now I read that and I think, okay, what's the answer? How do we persevere through pain? I'm, I'm right up, we're looking for like the little nugget. We're looking for the little life hack, the pro tip, the simple, easy, like what do I got to do? Just tell me what I need to do to get through the most difficult seasons of my life and they're simply not there. It's not there. Paul's primary concern is not how we ought to respond to pain. I'm going to say that again because I think it's a little bit controversial. Paul's primary concern is not how we ought to respond to the pain. His concern is how we should see it in the first place, how we frame it and understand it broadly. I think what Paul's trying to say is we need to change the way that we see pain and suffering and everything else will follow. Make sense? To put it in a sentence, a big idea. We need a vision strong enough, powerful enough to grip us even more than the pain. So when life gets difficult and all we can do, we turn inward, all we see, all we feel is the pain. We don't need a quick, there is no quick. We, don't need, we need something to make sense of that, a vision to walk us through it. So what is that vision? It's what Paul sketches out here in these six or seven verses. Let's go back and let's look at them kind of piece by piece, chunk by chunk. Verse 
18 and 19, he starts off with this illustrious, beautiful, almost poetic statement. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. He could have said, right, I consider that our present sufferings are not even, it's not even like a thimble of water in the ocean of God's glory. He could have made some sort of really cool word picture. He could have painted us something to get our minds around it, but he says, I won't even do that. He refuses to do that. He says, it's not even worth comparing. The glory that's to come is so great. It's so mind-blowing that what we're going through, in the Romans, we're going through hard stuff under intense persecution, not easy to be a Christian. The people that Paul was writing to, their lives were incredibly difficult. And he says it's not even worth comparing the glory that's to come. Verse 19, the, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. This, this idea of the eager expectation, it has in it, in the, in the language, it has this word picture of straining our necks to see something, and we're excited, we're passionate about it, we cannot wait to see what it is, and our necks are straining because we want to see it, and it, this makes me think of like a wedding. One of our staff members, Abby, just got married uh, yesterday to Sam out on the Wooster Green where we were supposed to do church today, and rain made that not happen, but um, I love watching all the people when like the bride is about to make her appearance. Uh, I remember our wedding day, uh, we got married in a church, and so there were these big double doors in the back, and I'm just standing there, hadn't seen Tiffany all day, because so, we're old school and traditional, so we didn't do the, the seeing each other thing, and I just waited. It felt like 10 minutes from the time like the last bridesmaid walked up, and those doors opened, and I was just so excited to see her, and when I did, I just started to cry. It was amazing, and and so even yesterday, seeing all of us just looking over, waiting for Abby to, to begin walking toward us. What Paul is saying is that all of creation is straining, is waiting with passion, with eagerness to see something. And what that something is, is you and me in the glory we were made to be in. They're waiting to see us as God intended us to be, not in sin, not in brokenness, not enslaved and shackled to the things that kill us, but set free, made new. All of creation is waiting to see you and I, how God intended us to be. Doesn't that blow your mind? I mean, that's crazy. It's what Paul is saying. The vision, the vision that God is wanting to get inside of us is the glory of God made fully alive in us. We were made for glory. We've been saying it all throughout this series. We were made to bear the image of God over all of the other creation. You and I, we have this incredible ability to bear the image of God to our world. Obviously, we sinned. We rebelled against God, and so now it's all tarnished. It's all broken. We're supposed to reflect back to the world perfectly who God is, but instead it's like a mirror that's been cracked all over, and that's the best that we can show back to the world. But one day, the creation will see us without sin or blemish in perfect union with our creator. 
First John 3, 2 says that when we see him, we shall be like him. We are waiting for that day. And that's what Paul is trying to remind the Romans, the day when we see him and we shall be made like him. He's telling them there's a much bigger story going on. One day, God is going to return. He's going to set the whole world to right. Every form of evil will be vanquished. Every tear will be wiped away. Yes, it's hard now, but a day is coming when we will bask in the glory of God, and we will walk alongside him again. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the whole creation would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So the vision is God's glory fully alive in us, but it's also the glory of God made fully visible in creation. Paul reminds the Romans that the reach of sin is enormous. The disobedience of Adam and Eve changed the entire face of the earth. Frustration, bondage, decay, sickness, death, evil fill every sphere of life. And as a result, the entire creation is hungering to be made new. Paul says that the creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Now, I've been in a, in a labor and delivery room now four times in my life. And I've seen what that's like. Um, I'll never forget when Mason, our first, he's now 10, but when we were in the room and it was that time to like push the baby out. I don't know how much you know about, but there's some waiting and then it's time. Okay, let's push this baby out. And um, I wanted to be up by Tiffany's face nowhere else. Okay, let's put it that way. So I'm up by her face and I'm like trying to like encourage her. I want to like be supportive. That's what they told me to do, the, you know, the nurses and stuff. So I'm up there and by her face. I don't know that this is happening, okay? I'm I, honest to God. I, I, I'm not aware that this is happening. But as she's doing, like, her breathing and her pushing through the contractions, I'm doing it with her. Instinctually, I'm like, <sighs> like, maybe that's TMI. I don't know. But... And, you know, with your, like, it, there's, a, there's a long, there's a little while of doing that. And you got to wait, and next contraction comes, and here we go again. <sighs> and I'm, like, right by her face. I don't even know I'm doing it. It's just I'm so in tune with her and her needs, and I'm one with her. And, and she looks up, me at, looks up at me, like, way, way too long after I started doing this because she's godly. And she's like, can you just please stop doing that in my face? Um, I'm like, yeah, yeah, t- I'm sorry. Um, and in some way, that's kind of like what, and it's a funny story, but it's kind of like what Paul is saying, I think, that, that like as the creation is groaning, we are groaning with creation, that this, this experience of like, this is not right, this is wrong, this suffering, it's, it's unnatural to us. We're not doing that alone. All of creation is experiencing that with us too. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves, right? We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Creation groans, and so do we. So one way to think about it is that you and I, we're caught right now between the groaning of creation and the glory that is yet to come. Groaning and glory. That's why death, disease, disasters, all this stuff is so unnatural to us. That's why it's so offensive 
If you've ever been to a funeral, I don't care how old the person was when they passed, there's something about a funeral that makes us want to scream out on the inside, this is not right. Something is wrong here. It's offensive to us. Here's where we are. We're in the moment, if you know the story, where Jesus is about to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. So Lazarus has died. Jesus comes from a far distance. He, he, he's there. Lazarus is already dead. And what is Jesus doing? He's weeping over the dead body of the guy that he knows that he's going to raise in a, a few seconds, a few minutes. Why is he weeping? Because what he's seeing is so not what he intended. It's, it's entirely contrary to the way God designed it. He's seeing something incredibly unnatural. You and I, we are longing for resurrection, and every pain is a reminder that we are not yet there. This vision of the glory of God alive in us, of the glory of God visible in all of creation, there's a word for it. There's one word for it. It's resurrection. We are longing for resurrection, and that's what Paul is trying to set before the Romans, to see their pain in the present through the lens of the future. He's reminding them of the story. They know that one day the Messiah, Jesus, is going to come back. He's going to set the world to right. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is God. Right? He's the king. Every tear wiped away, every evil, every injustice, every war, every pain, every loss, vanquished forever. He's reminding them that that's how the story ends. Again, I want to remind you, no simple answers. There's no quick fix. There's no life hack. Pain is going to enter our lives. So how we see that pain in grasping the beauty and the glory of what to come, what is to come, cultivating hope in the midst of it, that is what God is after. That's what Paul is telling the Romans right here. And we, we see this, right? I, I wish I could talk for a long time about this, but some of you know we've talked often about our friend John Draghi, a pastor in our network who died recently of brain cancer. And as that man got closer and closer to his death, as his prognosis got more and more bleak, you could see the hope rising in him. Yes, it was painful. I mean, yes, there were tears. I mean, he was leaving earth early. He was going to be with Jesus earlier than what he would have wanted. And yet, in conversations with him and hearing him talk, the excitement, the joy to see Jesus face to face. Okay, so all of that, that's, that's like big lofty stuff. I get that. You're sitting here and you're probably like, great, that's cool, Matthew, but how in the world does that actually affect me day to day as I face trials and difficulties? So I want to answer that question. How does a vision of resurrection actually help us? The temptation might be to think that like, well, we just sit around and wait. I guess we're just holding out. This, this world is like awful and terrible and it's all gonna burn anyway and so let's just sit around and wait for the resurrection. Absolutely not. Any, any response to this message, any, to the teaching of scripture that leaves us jaded, cynical, impatient, flat out wrong, flat out wrong. It's actually the complete opposite. And I know it's difficult, right? We, we experience pain and trials, and we want something to fix it, something quick. So we go to whatever vice there is. Or some of us in this time, right now, in our culture, we run to some political party. 
And we're like, these people, the people on this side of the aisle, they're going to be the ones to bring hope. They're going to be the ones that solve the world's problems. Absolutely not. It's the, it's the opposite of like, I'm just going to sit around and wait. Look at what Paul says in verses 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all for who hopes for what they already have. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We wait for it patiently. It doesn't mean we check out. It doesn't mean that we sort of sit it out. We endure. We're steadfast. We're hopeful. We're not cynical. How? How does that actually happen? Two things I want to leave you quickly. Number one, we will see the ways in which God is already at work transforming us into the image of Jesus. So that resurrection power is already happening. Paul uses the language of the first fruits of the Spirit. What that means is that God is already making us into the image of Jesus. Yes, one day when we see him, we shall be like him, but it's not like that's not happening now in any way, shape, or form. It's not happening in, you know, in completion. It can't in these broken, sinful bodies of ours. But yet, it's happening. The power of God is breaking into our lives. Romans 3 says this, verses 3 to 5, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. I love that line of glory, which we're talking about today. We glory in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. I'll stop there. In other words, all the stuff that's happening to us, that wounds us and hurts us, it's making us more like Jesus here and now. The one that we're longing to see to be like, we are becoming like him now. Dane Ortland is a pastor, still living today. He wrote a, an amazing little devotional book I'd recommend to you all called Gentle and Lowly. And he says this, the deeper into weakness, suffering, and testing we go, the deeper Christ's solidarity with us, the deeper union we have with him. As we go down into pain and anguish, we are descending into Christ's very heart not away from it. There is a grace to suffering. There's a, there's a gift. There's a joy in suffering. Why? Because we experience deeper fellowship with Jesus in it. And when we experience him in it, he changes us, changes the way we think, the way we see. So that's the first thing. We see the ways that, that we are already being transformed. The second thing, we see God calling us to bring hope and healing to our world. This hope that Paul ends with in this section, it makes us a people on mission with God. It doesn't make us cynics. It doesn't make us, this is all going to burn anyway kind of people. It makes us people who want to get in the action, who want to fight for the glory of God to be seen in this world. N.T. Wright, famous New Testament theologian, says, people who believe in the resurrection which is us, right? In God making a new world in which everything will be set right at last, those people are unstoppably motivated to work for that new world now, in the present. And so what I want to leave us with is this question of what would it look like to be a community that is filled with the hope of glory? When we look across our land, when we look across even our relationships and our families and our friend groups and we see suffering, we see pain, we see injustice and evil, what would it look like for us to be filled with the hope of glory? I think it means that we would tell one another 
in friendship as we walk alongside and bear one another's burdens that, hey, you know what? This is hard. This, there's no other way to say it. This is terrible. And yet, God is doing something in that. Let's figure out what that might be together. I think it means that we'll pursue him when it's hard. We won't do the thing where we kind of put him over here and grind it out and hopefully try to get over it and then go back to him. No, we'll invite him into the midst, in the midst of it and we'll come out with a faith that's even more unshakable, stronger. And then we'll want to give that away to the people around us. We'll see people in pain, people without hope, and our hearts will break. We'll want to give them this vision we want to give them the gospel and say that there is hope. There's hope beyond this life. There's hope for right now. There's a power that's available to you right now, and we will be motivated to want to give that away to them. We will want to run to those who are hurting, not sit by idly. And so that's my prayer for our church, that we would be a community of people filled with the hope of glory spur one another on to see Jesus at work in the midst, changing how we see, changing the very way that we see our reality, and then being motivated to give that away to the people around us. If we do that, can you imagine what God would do through us? Let's pray and ask him to do it now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word. We are astounded again at how lofty and yet helpful your word is to us. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that Jesus conquered the grave. Suffering is destined for all of us in some way, shape, or form. And yet the hope that we talked about here today is for those who are in Jesus. For those who are here who have not crossed from death to life, who have not given their hearts, who have not repented and said, God, I need you. I've sinned against a holy and perfect God, and I need this hope. Lord, would you bring those men and women to you today. Holy Spirit, would you bring salvation to those in need? God, would you motivate us? Those who know you, would you motivate us to give this hope away, to not keep it to ourselves? Lord, would we desire to see your glory all throughout BGSU's campus, all throughout this city, wherever we go? We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.